Okay, uh, we're studying uh, Romans, began last week. Uh, this is just introductory material, but it's very important. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you could master the introduction, uh, you'll, you'll understand the book very, very easily. It's not that hard when you understand uh, the background, the historical background, why Paul's writing. Uh, then it, things start making more sense to you when you study the book. Uh, there are four sections uh, that I want to point out to you. This is something I always keep in mind when I study. Uh, number one, there's an introduction to this letter, verses 1 through 16 of chapter 1. Next, there's a doctrinal portion uh, of this particular letter, and it's the large section. Chapter 1, verse 17 will kick it off, and it runs all the way through chapter 11, verse 36. Uh, Paul, what he says in verse 17, he'll build on for the rest of the book, at least until he gets to the closing portions of it, the exhortation, which comes next. Um, that's chapter 12 uh, through chapter 16, including the doxology, uh, which is the last verses of, of this letter. But uh, there's also supplementary uh, material that he injects into this letter chapter 15 and 1 through chapter 16 and 24. Uh, the thing uh, that I hold on to when I study like this is the, uh, the doctrinal portion of the letter. Uh, he's, uh, he's teaching is what he's doing. Uh, and the most of this letter is teaching, which means that uh, there's a problem. And he's addressing the problem that the church is experiencing. And uh, this, of course, will be the, the key component you want to keep in mind. Uh, an unfortunate conclusion uh, has occurred in the church, not necessarily at Rome, but the church everywhere uh, early on in the uh, existence of the church. Uh, when Paul wrote this letter, there were a lot of problems. Uh, primarily, it was a problem between the Jew and the Gentile. Well, I should say it was a problem between the law of Moses and the law of Christ. Uh, a lot of people had, uh, had a lot of difficulty with it. There were two schools of thought that would come to mind. Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? If there's one thing I know about myself is I don't know a whole lot about myself. <laughs> Not for sure. Uh, I think some things, but uh, if... It came down to it, I really don't know how I would react under certain circumstances. Uh, I, I know how I'm supposed to react. I don't necessarily know that I will react. I think I don't have a love for money, but I could have a love for money and just be unaware of it. There are things that we just don't know about ourselves, uh, And that's what Jeremiah's talking about. The heart can be a very deceitful thing. Uh, we think we know, we hope we know, we believe we know. But from God's perspective, he may see something very different than what I see. And that's one of the reasons why you have to acquire knowledge, an honest heart, because it's hard to be honest with yourself. It's very hard to be honest with yourself. And uh, a willingness to bend when it's time to bend. Uh, in, in this case, when Paul wrote the letter, the two schools of thought, number one, there was an emphasis on law-keeping. This, of course, was the Jewish mentality. And then there was an emphasis on uh, faith, 
faith being the, the saving component of uh, salvation. Now, the one thing you want to keep in mind is that the word faith is as misunderstood back then as it is today. When you talk to most people and you, you bring up faith, if you listen closely, you'll see that most people don't know what they're talking about. In the Bible, there's different kinds of faith. There's, there's the faith, for example, where it's the Christian system or the gospel. Uh, sometimes you have faith used in a generic sense. I have faith. And then sometimes you have the discussion of salvation faith, the kind of faith that God is looking for that makes God happy. And this is a faith that sits in its own arena. And you've got three areas you can look at faith in as you study, but most people come down to one, the saving faith. That's usually what people will come to. Uh, and that's not correct, and we're going to draw the wrong conclusions from the text if we do. When I say that these people uh, put emphasis on faith only, I put the only there because if I just said faith, uh, too many people would misunderstand. Salvation is dependent on faith. No works. Okay? No baptism. No nothing. Salvation is dependent on faith. And time and time again, you're going to read this in the scriptures. Now, for years, my brethren have been fighting with denominations over the concept of salvation by faith. The phrase salvation by faith is a legitimate phrase. It's true. If you understand what the word faith means. Now, the average person who will contend that we're saved by faith alone, uh, they don't understand what the salvation faith of the Bible is. They're, they're, they're talking about a, a faith that, that we all have, but it doesn't necessarily constitute a faith that will save, and it gets confusing. And it's, uh, it's very difficult uh, to understand sometimes uh, what exactly what it is we're trying to understand. Uh, am I saying that baptism has nothing to do with salvation? I didn't say that. I said salvation was by faith. Baptism's in that word by faith. It's inherent in the word. So is confession. Okay, so is repentance. When I say salvation is by faith, they're all included in the word because that's what faith is. Faith is the belief and the doing of the will of God. They go together. It's conjunction. The lexicons all define it that way, and for some reason, um, it's not understood very well. And it should be, so we can, I think sometimes that's why people get angry with us. The Bible says salvation by faith, and we say, no, it's not. They say, well, it's right here in the book. And it is in the book. So you've got to understand what the faith portion is. This is what Paul's trying to teach, okay? To the one group, he's emphasizing the fact that works alone isn't sufficient. Circumcision isn't sufficient. And on the other hand, he's contending for the fact that belief it's good, but it isn't sufficient. And he's arguing with both groups at the same time. It's a trick. He has to go back and forth from one to the other as he crawls through the letter. And uh, you'll see that as we progress. Uh, the salvation of man is, has been achieved, if you will, by the righteousness of God. 
Now, Christ on the cross is the righteousness of God. That's what Paul brings up in chapter 1, verse 17. <clears throat> in the gospel, the a righteousness of God is revealed. What is the righteousness of God that's revealed? Christ on the cross. That's the righteousness of God. Well, there's other kinds of righteousness. Of course there are. You can talk about his attributes. You can talk about you know, his qualities. You can talk about by the fact that he only does righteousness. Righteous is used towards God in many, many ways. But when you're looking here, when Paul's talking about a propitiation for our sins, that's Christ. It's not, it's not your works. It's not your faith. It's Christ. That's why we've been part. It's not because of me. I was fortunate enough to come to an understanding of the truth, believe it, and because I had faith, um, I received the blood of Christ by which I was made cleaned, but not because of what I do, okay? And that's so important. People think that we believe that you're saved by baptism. A lot of people, they think that's what we stand for. A lot of people watching on the internet, that's what they think. They think we, we believe that salvation is made possible by baptism. No, baptism has a part in salvation that's the human part but the divine part had the lord never made this offering the rest of it would be uh, mute there's it's all inconsequential at that point doesn't matter uh, and it's important it's important for so many people i know so many people i don't believe in salvation by works and then they'll turn right around and they'll say, I don't think I'm good enough. What? You just said you don't believe in salvation by works. And then you turn around and you say, I don't think I'm good enough. Folks, that's salvation by works. We're not, none of us are good enough. But we trust the grace of God that God forgives us because he said he would. And because of that trust, I know I'm saved. It doesn't matter what I do or don't do. That, has, that doesn't affect the, my being saved. It might have an effect on my not being saved, but it's not going to affect my being saved. All I'm doing is because I have faith, I do what the Lord wants me to do. It's common sense. If you believe something, you do it. If, 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 if a $100 bill lay on the, the table here and, and it's, you, you can have that $100 bill if you come up here and get it, you're going to come up here and get it. If you believe what I say, and you could use a $100 bill, but uh, that's what faith does. It acts. And that's why belief and works are the definers of what faith is, the faith that saves, that is. Now, all faith isn't belief conjoined with works. Sometimes faith is spoken of uh, simply as a belief that we have. Sometimes works are called faith. Jesus called faith a, a work back during his ministry. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. You know, and that always uh, shakes up some people because they say works has nothing to do with salvation. Well, if belief does, Jesus said belief was a work, and if you have faith, you know that it takes a great deal to have faith. It's a lot of work uh, to acquire faith. It doesn't come easily.
There's a price for sin, uh, and of course we know that the Lord paid the price and his blood flowed backwards and forwards. And Paul will bring this up in his letter also. It was important to the Jews to understand that their, their family, uh, their deceased family members could be saved under the law of Moses because the blood of Christ went backwards as well as forwards. And he'll drive that point home also. Uh, is it by works? No. Is it by faith? No. It's done by the righteousness of God. That's how we can be saved. Jesus is a propitiation, which means a payment. He was the payment uh, for our sins. God could forgive us because he died on the cross for us. Therefore, he was in a position to forgive us. He paid the penalty. Faith is the sinner's obligation, is to have faith. I don't have to say no more than that. All I got to do is have faith. Because if you understand the meaning of the word, you know what I mean. Belief conjoined with works. Unfortunately, most people don't realize that, and that's why we got to get into these definitions of everything. Because uh, so many people don't understand uh, the terminology uh, of Scripture. <clears throat> the church at Rome uh, was kind of divided. It, it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't, uh, they, they hated each other. It wasn't that at all. But uh, the Jew felt superior and the Gentile felt superior. Each felt superior over the other. And uh, they did it for two different reasons. The Jew, of course, he had the law on his belt. Yeah, I'm obeying Christ, but I was circumcised. Okay, what do you have to do to be saved? You got to believe, get yourself circumcised, repent, and then be baptized in water. That was the Jewish mind. The Gentile mind was you got to believe. Didn't necessarily have to do much after that. You just got to believe. Believe in Jesus rather than these pagan deities. Uh, and that was the mix-up. They were sinners. And he's going to point out the fact that they were sinners, all of them. And the only way they were redeemed from sin was Jesus, when it required on their part faith, which is belief conjoined with works. Remember that definition. It's very important. Uh, Thayer, if you want to attach it, uh, a lexicon to it, use the name Thayer. That's his definition. Uh, belief conjoined with works. That's one type of faith we read about it in the Bible. That's what we read about in Romans 1, verse 17, for example. James said, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. This is the argument that we're into. James had the same problem over where he was. The, they were divided over the same thing, works and faith. Work. People are divided today over the same thing. There's no difference. Roman Catholicism believes in salvation by works. Many, many, many people in our brotherhood believes in salvation by works. They're not going to say it, not like that, but that's what they believe. Why? Because I'm not good enough. It always comes back to I'm not good. I got to do more. I got to do more uh, in order to be saved. And in Paul's letter, it's about uh, faith. I, I need to believe more. Yeah, I go with that one. But uh, it's not about uh, doing more in the sense that I'll earn my salvation. But nevertheless, it is a belief that some people do entertain. And uh, we don't want to be that way. Even amongst the Protestants, there's a lot of people that believe that way. 
they talk about salvation by faith only, and then the second birth, they'll talk about they need to do more because they don't know that they're saved. Their leaders will say, yes, you are saved. You were saved when you believed, okay? And you've always been saved ever since. But people can't accept that because it doesn't seem right. I remember a man one time, uh, he was uh, lying on his deathbed. Death was very near, and uh, I talked to him. And uh, I was trying to uh, convince him to repent of his sins. He had been baptized years earlier. And I was trying to get him to repent of his sins uh, to the Lord. And uh, he said, I can't do it. And I said, why? He said, because it's not fair. He said, you've spent your whole life uh, uh, preaching the gospel, doing the work of God. He said, I have not. I mean, I was baptized, I went to church for a couple of years, and then I, I, I didn't do anything from that time forward. And now here I am on my deathbed, and I, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, repent, ask God to forgive me. It doesn't seem fair. Why should I have salvation like you have salvation? You've done so much, I've done nothing. And then I had to go through Romans with him uh, and show him that, what I had done is not why I am saved. It's because I believed. And that's why the thief on the cross could be forgiven on the cross. At that moment, he was forgiven. Why? Because he believed. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus knew he believed, and that's what he was looking for. He was looking for the faith, and the man had the faith. And the Lord said, today you shall be with me in paradise. And I believe with all my heart that he was. Okay? It's about faith. And it's hard. It's very hard for people to accept that. We're not trained that way. In the world, we live by an entirely different set of rules. You've you got to earn what you get in the world, and nothing wrong with that. But we're not in the world now. We're in Christ, and we're talking about a very, very, very different subject. It has nothing to do with my vast accomplishments, but it has to do with my confidence in Christ and his willingness to forgive something like me. That's what it comes down to. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. I will show you my faith by my works. You don't have to talk about your faith. If you got it, people are gonna see it. That's what James is saying. Faith just, pops up. <laughs> you can't live without showing your faith. People are going to know you believe by what you do. You don't have to go around tooting your own horn. All you got to do is what the Lord have you to do, and people are going to know who you are. They're going to see it uh, in your behavior. Uh, I think, you know, have you ever thought about how much this matter is discussed in the New Testament? The faith and works controversy? It's spoken of a lot. I wonder if it could be that because it was going to be an ever-present problem is one of the reasons why the Lord may have given us so much information on this particular subject. Could it be? I don't know. But I do wonder. Very brief expanded outline. Uh, I don't know if I want to really get into all this or not. Uh, the introduction, as I said a moment ago, chapter 1, verses 1 through 16, salutation is the first seven verses. And then Paul's introduction, he explains his motives, 
and his feeling towards the saints at Rome. <clears throat> then that brings us to uh, the doctrinal portion, which is the largest portion. First, he discusses the righteousness of God in verse 17. There's actually, uh, in most all theologians, uh, end uh, part one after verse 16, and part two begins with verse 17. When we preach it, we usually tie the two together, but most theologians, when they analyze it, they make a division between those two verses. Not necessary, but uh, it helps them keep the parts uh, separate. Um, all mankind is liable to the wrath of God. That's an unusual way to approach the subject. We talk sometimes about all mankind being liable to the love of God, but uh, here Paul brings up the fact that all mankind is liable to the, uh, the wrath of God. If you don't experience the love of God, you're gonna feel the wrath of God. And that's the point Paul wants to make. Hell's not a popular subject, but it is one that was discussed frequently in scripture. Uh, heathen world in general were going to be subject to the wrath of God because they, well, they were heathens. And for the most part, there were some heathens that weren't heathens. Uh, they didn't practice paganistic religions. They, they worshiped God. They didn't know much about God, but they knew there was a living God. And he was the one that made all things possible. They owed uh, their existence to him, and they paid homage to him as well. Uh, that would be our folks, our ancestors, for, for example. Uh, those people, of course, could be saved under uh, the law they lived. We usually call it patriarchal rule, but uh, they could be saved that way. But uh, for the most part, they were all p pagan, heathen. Uh, secondly, others would be judged as well, uh, especially the Jews. He brings that up in chapter 2. Chapter uh, 1, the first part, or the last, latter part of chapter 1 is devoted to the sins of the Gentile. Chapter 2, the sins of the Jew. He goes back and forth. You've got to keep up with Paul or he'll run off and leave you. Certain objections with regard to Jews suggested in met chapter 3. Of the two groups, uh, the, the Jews are going to be the more antagonistic. Um, they relied, even the Christian Jews, relied very heavily on circumcision. Uh, they've been taught probably all their life that no circumcised Jew is going to go to hell. Okay, that was a common teaching among the rabbis. Even if he gets mean, kind of a once saved, always saved kind of a deal. Once they were circumcised, they became members of the covenant on the day of life, and they remained members of the covenant until they died. And of course, they received salvation. So Paul has to spend more time with the Jews because they're harder to convince than the Gentiles are. Next, he's got the testimony of the Old Testament to universal sinfulness. Uh, he'll point it out in verses 9 through 20. Part four, the righteousness of God, uh, which is manifested in Christ. He is the righteousness of God in that sense and apprehended by faith. It's set forth as the only remedy and it's available to all, whether Jew or Gentile. He'll make that point, chapter three, verses 21 through 31. Next, part five, we have Abraham shown to have been justified by faith, not by works true believers being his true heirs. He was justified by faith, not by works. He didn't have any works to do. 
the Lord told him he would have a, a, a child with his wife, Sarah. Abraham believed God, and he was justified before God uh, because he believed God. What did Abraham do? He didn't do anything. Didn't have to. All he had to do was believe. That's all there was for him to do. If you believe in God and God gave us no marching orders, what would you do? Well, you wouldn't do anything. There's nothing for you to do. Uh, and that's the way Abraham was. He believed God when he made a promise, and that was sufficient. Results of the revelation of the righteousness of God is uh, explained in verses 1 through 21 of chapter 5. It's divided into two parts. Uh, the consciousness and hopes of believers. He'll talk about the position of mankind before God, uh, verses 1 through 21. Part 7 is the moral results to believers. Uh, a, the obligation to holiness of life. Uh, they're supposed to live holy lives before God. Uh, B, how law prepares the soul for emancipation in Christ from the dominion of sin. The old law, the law of Moses and the prophets, uh, was intended to uh, bring people to the Christ, which it should have done. It did do, but they didn't understand it properly. They didn't treat it properly. And it was misinterpreted by their leaders and teachers. And uh, the people believed in salvation by circumcision. And uh, they didn't know Christ when he came into the world. He should have been known. I mean, he was a fulfillment of the prophecies right down to the T. They even talked about, uh, Isaiah, for example, talked about people pulling his hair out of his face, which, of course, was fulfilled in the uh, crucifixion. They pulled the hair from the man's face. Part C, the blessed condition and assured hope of them that are in Christ, those who walk after the Spirit. Verse 1 is a favorite, one of my favorites. I don't know, I got a lot of favorites. Uh, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ, you can't be condemned. That's what Paul said. If you're in Christ, you can't be condemned. There is therefore now, at this time, no condemnation to those who are in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're saved. You don't have to try to be good enough. You're saved. You don't have to get better. You're saved. But he goes on to say those who walk after the spirit, not after the flesh. Okay, how we walk, how we live, uh, does have an effect on our um, ultimate salvation. If we walk after the spirit, we can be saved. If God is our guide, we shall be saved. But if we walk after the flesh, uh, you know, the things of life, uh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the prior life. If uh, I walk after the money, if I walk after the pleasures of the world, shooting, fishing, et cetera, et cetera, if this is what occupies my time, uh, if I pursue things, it's not wrong to pursue some things of the world, but not too much, not too much. I've always used the rule of thumb, uh, how much time do I spend fishing versus how much time do I spend with the Lord? And I'm not going to let anything in my life out distance what I do with and for the Lord because I would be walking after the flesh rather than after the spirit. The spirit's the most important thing. Now, wait a minute, stop here. When you go to work, 
What are you doing? You're doing the will of God. That's what he wants you to do. He wants you to go to work. He wants you to make money. He wants you to take care of your family. So you got eight or ten hours there where you're doing the will of God. Okay? When you go to bed and you get sleep, you rest your body, you sleep for eight hours. What are you doing? You're doing the will of God. God designed you that way. Your body needs sleep. He wants you to take care of your body. He wants you to lay down and get sleep. So there's eight hours where I'm doing the will of God. You can't write off everything you do is of the world because a lot of things that we do, these are things that God wants us to do. <clears throat> and when we're doing them, we're doing righteousness. We're doing what's right. Uh, therefore, uh, we're accredited for things such as that. We don't have to think that I have to spend as much time working with the Lord as I do going to work. When I go to work, I'm working for the Lord. I can, be, uh, I can testify before people uh, when, I, when I go to work. I can evangelize people when I go to work. I used to work at a place that before we started work, we had a Bible class in one of the conference rooms. And uh, I don't know, there was about 30 people there, I think maybe. But we had a Bible class for 30 minutes every day before we would go to work. Uh, there's so many things you can do, even throughout your day when you go to work, uh, that can uh, bring glory to God. Uh, depends on where your heart's at, though. Depends on where your heart's at. If, if your heart, if you truly, truly love the Lord, uh, you can't get your mind off of him. You think about him, you see him in, in everything. That's what your life's all about. That's what you live for. Um, that's the difference uh, between those who walk after the spirit and those who walk after the flesh. Even though they're doing things that someone might say, well, those are worldly things, going to work. No, 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 no. A person can go to work for the wrong reason, but a person can also go to work for the right reason. It's like anything we do. Depends on what our motive is. A guy goes into a liquor store and everybody has a cow. I saw brother so-and-so going to the liquor store. He's a drunk. He's this. He's that. Well, why did brother so-and-so go into a liquor store? Is he a deputy sheriff? And he got called in because there was a robbery? Is he a, a, an ambulance driver? Did he go in because he, they had a person down on the floor and he had to bring him out? Did he go in because his brother was in there and he was getting drunk and loaded? Uh, did he go in there to get his brother and get him out? What did he go in there for? Before you judge a man, you got to find out why he did what he did. That's why a person is supposed to be presumed innocent until they're found guilty. It's very important. It's one of our fundamental laws in this country. Position and prospects of the Jewish nation is discussed, chapters 9 through 11. Again, you can see how much time he spends with the Jews because they're pretty hard-headed. And uh, he knows it because he's a Jew. Number one, deep regret is expressed for the present exclusion of the Jewish nation from inheritance of the promise, chapter 9. Part two, it's not inconsistent with their exclusion. This is what he's going to teach them. You are excluded from the realm of salvation. But you shouldn't be surprised with it by that. It's not consistent with, inconsistent with God's faithfulness to his promise. This is a fulfillment of divine promises. This is what God said would happen. His justice, he's a just person. He can't be unjust. They commit sin. They have to suffer the consequences of sin. 
even though they're Israelites, they're, they're sin, sinning Israelites. And Jehovah can't tolerate such as that. And then, of course, the word of prophecy predicted the downfall of the Jewish nation uh, after the downfall of the Jewish state. And that's pretty much uh, what Paul will talk about there. Third, there's the cause is in the fault of the Jews themselves. They're the reason. They had nobody to blame but their self. They, they are in the condition they are in because they didn't listen to the Lord. He, he told them all this stuff, but they didn't pay any attention to it. Number four, they are not finally rejected, but through the calling of the Gentiles will be brought into the church at last, chapter 11. What he's saying now in that part is that the Jewish nation as an entity isn't going to fall uh, for that one reason. The vast majority of the Jews, they're going to fall. But there are Jews within the state who become believers. Those who truly believe, they become members of the congregation of God. It's those who do not turn to God through Christ. They're the ones that's going to be lost uh, ultimately. And this is uh, Paul's discussion there. The third part is exhortation, and as I said a moment ago, the doxology. Uh, I've included in the uh, exhortation because in his doxology, Paul does exhort uh, the Romans. Various practical duties are ordered, chapter 12 and 13. Mutual toleration is enjoined. They have to be tolerant of each other, chapter 14. <clears throat> and then the con concluding uh, doxology, which is uh, three verses. Then the final part is the supplementary, supplementary information. Uh, it's brief, chapter 15 to the first part of chapter 16. A, uh, there's got to be a resumption and further enforcement of verses 1 through 13. He'll go back and discuss them over. Uh, Romans, the writer's uh, account of himself and his plans. He talks about himself, what he plans to do. C part, greetings to Christians at Rome with a warning attached. And then finally, greetings from the Corinthian brethren. Uh, I guess we know where he was at when he wrote this letter to the Romans. Uh, did, uh, did, did we have copies of that, Raylan? Okay, good. Uh, if you want it, you can uh, take it home, or if you want to start a fire with it, you can do that too. Uh, I, I never know if you're going to want copies of something. But something that long, uh, I'd rather uh, hand out copies if anybody try to copy it from this screen. Salvation. We were saved in this hope. And know your faith is not in vain. Uh, salvation drew me to Christ. I, nobody can deny that. We wanted to be saved. That's why we were drawn to Christ. That's what we were looking for. Salvation. It's not bad. Nothing wrong with that. There's got to be a thing, a reason that motivates us. Uh, the fact that I believe that salvation is in Christ, I got the faith that saves. That's the faith that the Lord is looking for. Therefore, that kind of faith is not in vain. Sec Peter uh, emphasizes the fact that Jesus is coming back. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, uh, what will happen when he does come back. Be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. 
and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, the long-suffering, God's ability to put up with us, that works out to our salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him as written you. Now, Paul, as also in all his epistles, Paul's epistles, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand. Anybody familiar with Paul's writings know that he's the most challenging person to read. Uh, he uses big words. He uses a lot of legal terms. Uh, and this makes it uh, difficult for uh, a lot of people to try to comprehend exactly what he's talking about. Not so much the word, but the, uh, the principle behind the words. Uh, there's, there's principles that we have to pick up on if we're going to uh, understand uh, what the Lord wants us to know. You can know words and still not know the Lord. You've got to understand what's behind the words. Which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. I hardly go uh, very long without somebody telling me what the Bible says. I mean, it's... it's it's a common occurrence in my world. It's a common occurrence in the world of uh, all preachers. People are always telling the preachers uh, uh, they're wrong. What they said is wrong. Uh, I may be wrong about a lot of things. My opinions could be wrong. But uh, when I speak of things uh, that come out of the scriptures, uh, whether it's words or principles, history, uh, it's not going to be wrong. Uh, I check these things very closely. Uh, if I ever am wrong, and I have been wrong on occasion, uh, I'm not so big that I can't uh, change it. I just say I goofed. I misinterpreted this. Here's a pr proper interpretation. It, uh, it's something that happens to human beings. But most of the time, uh, I won't be wrong. Uh, and so many times, uh, Someone would tell me, so I wish that didn't happen. Uh, sometimes uh, people are older. Usually younger people don't question a whole lot. They just want me to expound on things. But older people, you know, they've lived this way for so many years. They've been taught so many things uh, by word of mouth. And I got to be honest with you, most of the things they've ever said didn't come from the scripture. It was their opinion or the opinion of their daddy or the opinion of their, their, their late husband. Um, they were, of course, they're always good people, godly people, much more godly than I am. Uh, and uh, they knew better, and no matter what, uh, this person is not going to listen to what I have to say. Well, what do you do in a case like that? Well, you pray for him. You hope to have a change of heart, change of attitude, instead of uh, looking at what they think they know, they take the time to actually study the scriptures for themselves and see what truth really is. Uh, the scriptures are often twisted. I've seen the scriptures twisted by elders. I've seen some preachers twist the scriptures. Uh, it's something that happens. And uh, it's, it's unfortunate. But... Uh, I remember there was one time where I was talking about the elder, uh, 
uh, he had to have children. The word children sometimes means child, one child. One child, oh boy, I got my plows cleaned that day. <laughs> How wrong I was and yada, yada, yada. Uh, brother so-and-so, he taught us that uh, it means more than one, children means plural. Uh, and I told him, I said, well, if you call brother so-and-so, I think he's gonna tell you he's changed his mind. He doesn't teach that anymore. And boy, he was angry. He went home and he did call him. And uh, brother so-and-so called me and told me he called him. But uh, the man came back and talked to me again. He said, well, he said children can mean a child in some instances. I said, well, do you believe it now? Yeah, yeah, brother so-and-so said it. And I asked him a question. I said, brother, where, where's your faith? Is your faith in Christ or is your faith in brother so-and-so? What are you going to do when brother so-and-so dies? How are you going to know what the Bible says? I feel sorry for a lot of people. I really do. But there's no saying you can't, you can't, you can lead a mule to water, but you can't make him drink. And people are a lot like that too. If somebody gets something in their head, they're mad. <clears throat> in many cases, especially if they're angry, there's no changing. Talking to me, children means plural. Talk to brother so-and-so, children means child. It all depends on who said it. He's listening to the wrong people. It's not me, it's not brother so-and-so. Should have been listening to God. Because you can study the Bible, and the Bible points it out. He said, well, how come he changed his mind? I said, well, it's called growing. He said, what do you mean? <laughs> the preachers are just people. I said, as they live, they learn. And as they learn, their thinking changes, just like anybody else's does. Boy, did you ever believe children meant children? Yeah, and I've taught it before. And then I finally caught up with myself that that wasn't what the Bible actually means. I started learning what meanings were all about and not just words. And uh, I finally came to an understanding. But uh, there's not much you can do about it until somebody's willing to change their mind. Twisting the scriptures, common occurrence, happens all the time. Happens all the time, more than you would think it would ever happen. That's why we need to study the purpose of a text. We have got to understand the purpose of the text, or we're never going to understand the words of the text. You've got to take it all together. Romans fits Peter's description. First, Paul addresses the long-suffering of the Lord a number of times in Romans, and that's what Peter addressed, the importance of the long-suffering of the Lord. Secondly, he pointed out that some things are hard to understand. If you ever read Paul's letter to the Romans, you know some words are hard to understand. Then thirdly, untaught and unstable persons, sometimes they twist his words to their own to what? To their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. It's not just a, a funny thing that somebody misunderstands. It's a very serious thing especially if they do much harm with the words. You can believe something to be wrong, and as long as you keep your mouth shut, you're all right. But when you open your mouth and start teaching other people, then it becomes a problem. Uh, you gotta be careful. 
Uh, we'll have to stop here. I don't know if we got a whole section left for next week or not. I can't remember what's coming up next. But we'll take up, uh, if, it's, if it's enough time to fool with, we'll take up with uh, the screen after this one. And uh, if, if not, we'll just go on to the first chapter. <laughs>